Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. What an awesome team. Maybe you can just give them all a great big hand. We are blessed with a bunch of amazing leaders. And uh, for me, it's a big privilege being here tonight and sharing the word with you. And uh, tonight, you can see I brought my beautiful crown. Isn't it wonderful? So uh, I'll, I'll put it on. I want you to remember this picture. You won't see this every day. <laughs> but tonight, you will be confronted with this picture. Not about the crown that I'm wearing that just fell apart, but about the crown that's actually signifying something about the power and authority that's controlling your life. Who's wearing the crown? And uh, tonight is going to be Jesus asking you that question and also drawing you into the environment of His grace to discover that He is the best master that you can follow. But I want to start with a question. And it's a very simple question. It will be the question, who taught you to say thank you and please? Quickly tell the person next to you. And maybe share the consequence if you didn't do it. What happened? What happened if you did not say please in your house? So my children will tell you their, their mom is called Mama Yoris. And she's an amazing mother. She's probably the best mother there is. But if you want to tick someone off, you don't say thank you to Mama Yoris. She will very quickly say to you, I brought you into this life. I can take you out. But I never really appreciated the fact that someone cared enough for me to teach me to say thank you until I had my own children. And suddenly I realized this, this fact that saying please and thank you is something that doesn't come naturally. Like babies do not come out of the womb saying thank you. <laughs> you almost need to beat it into them. To get the response. They need to be taught. It's not something that happens all by itself. Now the bigger question, because thank you and, 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 and please is something beautiful in terms of character. And I think if you haven't mastered that skill in your character, please do. It will be something valuable in life. But something bigger is the question, have, is there someone that actually loved you enough or had a good example to teach you how God thinks about money? Because if we do not understand the reality and the power and authority of money, thank you and please will be a, a small thing in life. But the power and authority of money is a question of life and death many times. You know, in my life, I was privileged. Grew up in a very, very interesting, weird, and a bit dysfunctional family. So to give you an idea, um, my father had a, like a big problem with, with, with the booze, uh, kind of struggling with, with the drinking thing. We were traveling like, like nomads. In my grade nine year, I attended four different schools in three different provinces. That was kind of the height of my 
high school career. So in this time of craziness in my family, my father came to salvation. He met Jesus. I was very suspicious about this whole thing of salvation in church with my dad because I've seen many big things come and go. So I probably thought this was just one of those. There's, there's no reality in this. And guys, this is the real thing out of my own life. The day I for the first time saw my dad giving away his money to God, I looked at him and I thought, God really changed you. Because I know you. I know you. I know the schema you are. I, he, was a, he was a second-hand car dealer, just to say it. I mean, that's like really, really dodgy. And I looked at him and I saw this really changed his life. God got a hold of him. And I could see the fruit of that in his life. You see, the beautiful thing about the gospel is the fact that Jesus loves us enough to share with us the heart of the Father when it comes to money. But we need to learn from Him. We, we need to open our hearts for Him to challenge us because He loves us so much, He will share stuff that will actually confront our lives in a deep way. Because when we talk about money, it's something that's actually very personal and very close to our heart. Because it is the question, who is your master? Who is in charge? So Jesus was, uh, was teaching his disciples and uh, teaching us exactly the same thing tonight. And I want to invite you to maybe open your Bibles, if you brought it along, in Luke chapter 16. And we're going to read this portion of Scripture, and we're really going to dive into this portion tonight. So we're going to work through this portion. So be, be, be prepared to maybe be stick here a little bit and uh, see what happens here, and uh, appreciate something of the story that Jesus is telling. So it starts off, Luke 16, verse 1. It says, he also said to the disciples. This is now Jesus, in a loving way, opening the conversation about money. But he does it in a very interesting way. So he says, he tells the story. There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. So this guy gets fired. And then the manager said to himself, now this is where the story gets a little scary. What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am too ashamed to beg. So this guy's not very honest. He's saying, listen, I have a problem. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to dig. So what am I going to do? I'm in a problem. I now have limited time. I have limited resources. What will I do? And then he says the following. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, People may receive me into their home. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'll have to buy myself some favor while I still have the opportunity. And listen to this crazy guy. So summoning his master's debtors, 
one by one, he said to the first, how much do you own my, owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, listen to this, take your bowl, sit down, and quietly write 50. He's giving illegal discount. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bull and write 80. Now, reading the story, don't go further. I expect something of the next verse Jesus to be saying. You know, this is like in the Bible, that moment, drum roll, hell, damnation, judgment over sin. This is because this is like, this is really messed up. This is like dishonest. And then Jesus gets us to the edge of our seats as we read the next verse. Verse 8. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So is this Jesus actually condoning dishonesty? Definitely not. But Jesus is telling this story to bring this one point forward in understanding that if we look at this manager taking responsibility of the owner's stuff, that when this guy was under pressure, he was clever in doing just this one thing. And that was to make money work for him. And that is called shrewdness. It's working cleverly with money. And now Jesus says, he says, many times, you, you, you faithful people, you are not all that clever when it comes to money. We ought to go learn from the dishonest guy in understanding the way that he saw the possibility. He knew the power of money. And he utilized that power for benefit. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. That's actually beautiful. And then Jesus goes on and he takes this into a total new dimension as he says the following in verse 9. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you in eternal dwellings. So what is the Bible saying here? It's saying that money has the capacity to influence the lives of people for eternity. That's what he's saying. He's saying like this dishonest guy that made friends, he, he bought himself favor. You and I can discover that money has the capacity to work beyond our own lives and influence the lives of other people. Where's Jesus aiming in this? This was the big discovery for me. Many years ago, reading this scripture, I made this, this discovery that I realized that God is saying, listen, money is not, it's not that important. 
Money is only a, me a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. Don't make too much of money. But see money as a tool. You see, there's this big principle that, that we, we receive money to, to kind of sustain our lives. We live off our money. We buy food, we buy clothes, we buy shelter, we buy security. That's what we do with money. But Jesus says, listen, if you want to understand the power of money, you must understand that money was not just intended to sustain your life. There's an element of money that is meant to impact eternity, to make friends for eternity, to impact the lives of other people through that money. You see, money is a tool. And maybe tonight is the first time that you will hear that the money that you and I receive is not just intended for us to live off, but it is also intended for the kingdom of God. It is supposed to have an eternal influence. Paul writes exactly the same thought using a different picture. He says the following, 2 Corinthians 9 verse, verse 10. He says, he, now that is God, who supplies seed. Quickly, quickly say seed. Seed. Uh, that was a very bad attempt. Say seed. Seed. And do you sow it? And what? Bread. Say bread. Bread. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what is this, this verse saying? It's saying God supplies two things. He supplies bread and he supplies seed. This is a picture of a farmer. Farmers will explain this to us. They would say, you take your seed, you go to the land, you sow it. Then a harvest comes up and then you take that harvest. And then a farmer will immediately say, this is the principle. You can't take all of the harvest and make bread of it. If you eat the seed, the next season, you might go hungry. There's a difference. There's a line. A certain amount of my money is bread. And the other part of my money is seed. And kind of the first thing that Jesus introduces to his disciples in this picture is understanding that everything I receive is not for my own benefit. And part of the question that we're going to get to later in terms of who is in charge of my life will be answered exactly through this. You see, the reality is that money is not quiet. Money speaks loud. You know, if you want to see the reality of your life and if you want to be introduced to someone that doesn't know you, you can just give them your bank statement. Because my bank statement speaks about my life. It will show my priorities. My bank statement even shows my weaknesses. Like I can't hide it. But somewhere on the lines of my bank statement, you will see this little entry. McDonald's, Zastron Street. I mean, I mean, listen. Doesn't APSA understand 
and that they would kind of be kind to me in like, like not showing that, like just putting it in a few stars, you know, to just kind of hide the secret. No, they don't understand it because that bank statement already says everything about my life. It says what is important. It says what I fear. It says what is my priorities. It says what's my weaknesses. Because where the money flows shows what's going on here. And it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, the first thing you and I need to understand in terms of money is that a portion of it is not for your own benefit. It is intended for something bigger. It is intended for something that, is, that, is, that, is, that has eternal value. And if you understand the principle of seed, you will always have bread. That's the principle. And you don't take, a farmer doesn't take the seed. And this is now getting close to our practice. Many times our hearts, so maybe you'll be offended by what I say. But a farmer does not take the seed and plants it in the kitchen zinc and expect and harvest. He puts the seed in the source from which the harvest came. That's the principle of the seed. So I can't say that I am sowing into the kingdom of God by giving to the beggar on the street corner. That's sharing your bread. That is not sowing seed. Seed needs to go back to the source from which the harvest came because there lies the promise of the future harvest. And Jesus says this, this, this is an indication that if you understand this, you will discover that money is a tool. Now they supplied me with a tool. I actually also have one of these. Awesome, I feel very manly carrying this thing. I have no clue how to use it. And my wife will tell you that is true. So she doesn't trust me to use this thing. So I am very fortunate to have this in my hand tonight. But even, even, definitely not me, but even a very proud handyman won't make too much of this. You won't go to the house of a handyman, you know, like you very, very manly men. You have like two belts. And you have all these terms that we don't understand. Sockets and wrenches and screwdrivers. And you have this, all of these things. And then I go to your house and I walk into your lounge and there's this beautiful display of all your tools. And you just spend time explaining to me how wonderful these tools are. We don't do it. You know, even a handyman will kind of just sometimes say, you know, I got this new boer, it's, it's beautiful. But this is a tool. And money is a tool. And if we allow money to be more than a tool, we are opening a can of worms that will impact our lives in a big way. This is just intended to do two things. It's intended to sustain your life and it is intended to put in your hand the seeds that God says, 2 Corinthians 9, He will multiply so that you can be generous in every way.
and in every situation. That's the intention of this money that I receive. But you see, the thing about money is that it is not just a tool. And Jesus explains it beautifully. He says, this is the thing you must understand, that if, uh, if you receive money, you are also receiving something of a test. And he says it in the following ways. Verse 10, he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. So it's about being faithful, handling this money in the correct way. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? This is so crazy that Jesus is saying that every time I take money into my hand, there's something of this question, what am I allowing this money to do? And if I ask you the question, what would be the opposite of being dishonest? What's the opposite of being dishonest? It is being honest. And Jesus challenges that thought. Because go read that scripture. Jesus uses two words, dishonest and faithful. You see, for us as Christians, the test does not lie in just being honest about money. The test lies in being faithful with money. If you move from dishonest to honest, you are halfway there, and that is amazing. Paul writes and he says, if you steal, please stop stealing and start working. But that's not where it ends. The victory does not lie in honesty. It lies in faithfulness. And that's the big thing that Jesus says that in this process of understanding that money is a tool, I need to keep it as a tool by being faithful with it. I brought a nice little bizarre prop. So I'm going to ask someone. Uh, I'll, do I, must, must we ask Jabu? Do you have a steady hand? Let's give Jabu a hand as he comes forward. Come Jabu. Brain will quickly show you how this thing works. So we're going to see how steady is Jabu's hand. Have you, have you ever played this thing? This is crazy. So he must take that little wire across every... Oh, okay, already a problem. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> the principle is, this is not an easy test. That every time I take money, the question is, can I be faithful in the stewardship of this money? And that's why Jesus introduces the final verse in this, in this portion of Scripture, which is really boils down to the hardest truth. When it comes to money. And he says the following, verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters. The one, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
You see, he told this whole story, building like this road for us to understand money has eternal purpose. Money is a tool. Money is a test of faithfulness. Because this is the reality. Money can become a master. And I think if we ought to ask our money, take out that hundred rand bull out of your big loaded wallet. And you put your ear next to Wim Nelson. And you say, speak to me. I think your money will say exactly the same thing as Jesus did. And he would say, listen, you guys, I'm not a good master. I'm not a good master. I'm a terrible master. If you allow me to take over your life, I will ruin it. Guaranteed. I'm not a good master. And maybe you will ask your money, what then should I do with you? And I think Jesus and your money would say, send me away. Get rid of me. Make sure that, that what you do with this money fits into the purpose that God intended money to do. There's a portion of bread. Enjoy the bread. I mean, I can't stand here in front and say, don't enjoy bread. You can see I am enjoying the bread. But listen. That money would say, that money would, would say, your self-control will determine which of us are actually in control. And we don't like the word self-control. I mean, it is not a nice word. If you're thinking about McDonald's, it's not a nice word. If you're thinking about going to gym, it's not a nice word. And if you speak about money, it's not a nice word. We don't want to hear the word self-control. But what, what the Bible says is this reality is that if I have the authority in my own life saying that I am in control of my money, I am not in control. Money has already taken over control. I am not strong enough to handle money. You can tell yourself, I am strong enough. I will make it work. I promise you, Jesus said, he's not a good master. He brings bad things into your life. He brings hate in your life. And he brings something that's called the spies in your life. The other master is Jesus. Jesus brings love into your life and he brings devotion into your life. That's the difference between these two masters. In Galatians 5, Paul says, he says this beautiful thing, it introduces us to the power of Christianity by saying, walk in the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? He's saying that when you come to salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will empower you to live a godly life. So the Holy Spirit will constantly nudge you and pull you into the direction that God knows is best for your life. That is a beautiful thing about Christianity. You don't get saved and then it's all up to yourself to keep your salvation and live a godly life. God empowers us by His Spirit. But then in that same portion in Galatians 5, Paul says the following. He says, and the fruit of the Spirit is, list, self-control. I don't like that verse. That's a disturbing 
verse saying that the Holy Spirit will constantly nudge me into the direction of what is important to God. Why is this important? This is important because as humans, when it comes to self-control, we must realize that we have appetites. Not just for food, but for almost everything we need. We, have, we wake up in the morning like one chemistry explosion of desires and needs. I mean, I have two boys in my house. And when they wake up, the first thing they want is food. They want food because there's something inside you that says, I have an appetite. I need to satisfy it. I'm hungry. But we don't have just these low level of appetites. We also have ap appetite for, for status and security. We have appetites for buying and owing. We have appetites for acquiring and getting something. Those are appetites that drive us. And it's as if Jesus shows this picture and he says, see yourself as like a speed corp. You know, like a speed, what, what do you call it? A traffic officer. A traffic officer. So sometimes in the morning when we drive in Bloemfontein, we're fortunate. And then we have traffic officers that kind of help us in traffic. Other mornings, I don't know what they do, but then they're not there. But if there's one, you love it. Because he kind of says, okay, these cars can go now and these cars can go now. And then everybody gets an opportunity to, to move much better. And what the Bible is saying, self-control is like the traffic cop in your life. Directing the flow of money in your life. And if you can say no to certain appetites, Jesus says, this will be good for you. This will take you into freedom. Because every appetite has the capacity to enslave you in bondage. Every appetite. Every appetite has the capacity to enslave us. For me, this was a beautiful picture in our house. And I had, I asked permission to use this story because my children are now growing up and I have to be very careful. They're much taller than me, so they can hurt me. But we have in our family last year two, our twins, they wrote matric and now they're studying and having their first opportunity. Um, and one of them, I won't mention his name, um, he, he enrolled for an internship where he's studying, but he's also earning his first salary. So December last, he still got pocket money. And from small, we taught them to tithe. So tithing from your pocket, pocket money is very easy. You know, like, it's very easy. But the other day we drove to pick him up and he was standing outside his workplace with a little envelope, very openly displayed as we approached. And you could just see the pride written all over his face because that was his first paycheck. So he got in the car and the first thing he, he said was how much this paycheck represented. Because he's never in it like, and I know him. I know his finances. He's never in his life had this much money 
in one moment. Or for himself. I'm not talking about money on a tour that I paid or someone else gave him. I'm talking about money for himself. So I was a bit concerned as a dad about his excitement. So later that evening, I asked him, have you yet drawn up a budget? And he said, yes, I have. And I thought, I'd love to see this. So he immediately brought over the budget. Now, I must really say, and they're not as a joke, but I was so proud. Because first item on the budget was his tie. And I thought, wow, this is really amazing. This is awesome. You know, this is the stuff you as a parent pray for. God is alive. But as we discussed it and I looked at the other elements of this budget, with an ample provision for McDonald's, Burger King, Hamilton's, and Van der Boon's Bokkerei, I could see the budget reflecting appetites. It's there. It's alive. And then as we discussed the amount that was written next to the tithe, I could see the little computer having a bit of a glitch. Because December, the reality is that the tithe could not even buy like that small McDonald's burger. That's reality. If you, if you have pocket money, some of you students, and then you would say, okay, tithing is not important. I want to promise you it is important. Because the next step is going to be a big test. Because now the amount that stood next to tithe was many, many, many times more and was actually enough to satisfy some or other real appetite, like ugly sneakers. I must really say, you guys, this generation, you wear ugly shoes. And you pay a crazy amount of money for ugly shoes. Like in the 80s, you, you would have been bullied if you wore those shoes that you guys are wearing. I want to promise you, you would have suffered on the playground. But suddenly I saw this appetite. Now it's a real amount of money that I need to give away. This is painful because it's challenging an appetite. But Jesus says, he says, this is not the big thing. He says, the big thing is that if you have victory over appetites, you will live in freedom. If you have defeat in appetites, you will live a life of defeat. You see, if you're faithful in the small, you will be faithful in the big. But if you do not understand that that first amount that comes into your account is literally something destined for eternity, it will be a challenge to live in that reality. And Jesus is saying there's a competitor that's after your heart. In every situation, he's after your heart. And he's challenging who's in control, who makes the decisions. And if I allow him to make the decisions, I'm going to end up in trouble. You see, Jesus says these words, answering to us. Is there a way out of this? 
And Matthew 6 verse 33 gives the way out. It says, first seek what? The kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added. Does God know about all the other things? Does God know about the sneakers and the jeans and all the experiences and all the dreams? Of course, God knows about it. And He loves you enough to supply in many of those. But if I enter the conversation with money in a position of allowing my desires to control my money and not seek the kingdom of God, I'm going to end up in trouble. Both those words are very important. The first one is seek because we are already seeking. We are seeking, we, we are seeking satisfaction of so many appetites that we have. And Jesus says, self-control redirects those appetites in putting the kingdom of God first. That is our victory. That is our freedom. It lies in this principle. And this is not a new principle. It's exactly the same principle that Malachi used when he wrote in Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the full tithe to the temple so that there will be enough in my temple and see if I do not open the windows of heaven over your life. That's exactly the same thing. Bring it first. First acknowledge the lordship of Jesus in your finances and then there will be freedom in the rest. But if I miss that opportunity, I'm entering a game that most probably, no definitely, I will not be able to win. It's a fight about my heart. And please listen as I say this tonight to a bunch of young people. Listen, if this challenges you tonight and you feel discomfort with this, please understand that I'm saying this in so much love. But if this challenges you in some way, you must understand that there's already a contender for your heart. Someone's already fighting and most probably winning the battle for your heart. And that might be a selfish, a selfish desire for comfort. That might be something that status, maybe you think that having this, this pair of sneakers will really change your life. I want to promise you it won't. Maybe it will be security. What if I give all this away? Will I have enough? All of those, all of those ideas, they're nothing other than forces competing for the question, who's the master? Who's the master? And sometimes we are so afraid in church to allow this conversation to be open. Because if we understand the first, the kingdom first principle, it basically just means flip the script. The script of life says, the first thing that you need to do is you need to have enough to live. And then if you have something left, you save. And then if something is left in the end, you will give. What Jesus is saying, no, flip the script and start with the principle of whenever I receive, I firstly give. Then I save. And what is left, I will live off. And I want to promise you, 
that if that becomes the foundation of your understanding, this is not everything that God said about money, but this is one very important principle. If you build this into the foundation of your life, you will live in freedom. When God says, I'll give all the other things, or like Malachi said, I will open the windows of heaven. Did you hear that there's a healthy, beautiful way of living without worry about money, without the, the force of money competing for my heart? There's freedom. Jesus is not talking here to help us fund the church. Of course, it will in the end fund the kingdom. But that's not his purpose. His purpose is just asking the question, are you going to decide who wears the crown? Because when it comes to money, if I wear the crown, I make a terrible mistake. Money will always be wearing the crown. But if Jesus wears the crown, I will always live in freedom. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come forward. And I want, to, I want to see one moment happen tonight. And I know, especially in the evening meeting, we don't like a lot of silence in church. It very quickly becomes very awkward. You know, if like everybody is like bowing their heads and it's really quiet. But I want to... I want us to have a quiet, awkward moment tonight. Because this is something very personal. And this is something so important for God. Because it's all about our hearts and all about His Lordship. And I want to ask you this one question. While tonight, the guys on the, on the music team are going to play for us. And then they're going to sing a song. And then we're going to sing with them. So don't worry, the silence won't be too long. But I want to ask you to close your eyes. And ask yourself this question. Who is my master when it comes to money? And if the question is not Jesus, and your bank statement doesn't reflect it, won't you ask a second question? And just ask God, Lord, will you show me what is the competition for your truth? What is standing in my way? What is the obstacle? What is this desire? What is this, what is this habit? What is this, this, this hunger that I'm trying to satisfy that's actually competing against the principle of your word? This word, this message should not leave you feeling obligated. This message should not leave you feel bound to a law because this is a principle of freedom and ask God to show you what is stopping you from entering into his freedom when it comes to money will you close your eyes just there where you're sitting and allow God to speak to your heart Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.